Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right. Not so serious Sunday has returned <laughs> yes, for has. another installment. And guess what, folks? We have no idea what we're going to talk about. That's right. But if we did, then it wouldn't be not so serious Sunday. Yeah, it would be too serious. Yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we probably will talk about art. We will probably talk about how to be, you know, in your integrity with it. Some roundabout way we'll get there. Yeah. But uh, don't for, know how that's going to happen yet. For now, think of it as a roller coaster, you know, where you're just kind of strapping in and we're about to pull you up this big hill. Indeed. And, and uh, it could be it could be terrible. It could be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Could be somewhere in between. Yeah. Could kind of makes just... it exciting, you know, because you don't know what to expect. Yeah. But yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. There's something about all of that that I really dig because... You never know what might come out of just throwing something, throwing something out there. You know, like not having necessarily any kind of a pre-planned out thing of how something is exactly going to go and just say, I don't know, we don't know any of what's going to happen. And our commitment to whatever it is that happens will see us through to the end yeah. somehow. We're committed to one thing, is to have a conversation <laughs> and see what happens. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Let's, you know, for me, I just maybe, and I know we talked about this before, but you talk a bit about how it originated. Like, um, maybe people are wondering that. I don't know. You know, I, a lot of this <clears throat> it started so organic. Like, we were working on a script together, and we didn't always do this, but we uh, we would kind of sit down before our writer's meeting, and I remember, um, we just started asking, like, you know, what's going on this week, how's your, how's things going, and then we'd, you know, we'd talk a little bit about our week, and then we would start to get into stuff, and before we knew it, it would get into some pretty deep stuff, and, and so that's how these conversations kind of unfolded, and then, I don't know, it was like, I remember there was a day or something where we were, like, we, it would be so cool if people could have heard what we talked about. You know, because um, we stumbled upon some really great stuff. And I think it was, I don't know if it was your girlfriend or something, but someone was like, yeah, you guys should really make a podcast out of that. And, you know, the seed gets planted and then, you know, and then what do you know? And then the seed grows. Yeah. And it becomes a delicious plant yeah. of some kind. At least we hope so. Yeah, hopefully. There could be people who absolutely hate us and hate what we do. And well, hate the things that we talk about. I hate think, our voices. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if there's nobody that hates us, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. I mean, someone, you know, there's always going to be people out there that are going to, they're going to tear down things that people are trying to do that are good. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if, if we're the best podcasters in the world. I don't think it's ever been about that. But I think that, and I, I, I mean... People could say, you know, you're pretentious, acting like you know everything about art. Well, I'll be the first to say that I don't really know if I know anything about art. I think that I have some experience and I've faced some challenges. And I would say, like, you know, if, through these conversations, if um, they plant seeds for people to look into things a little bit deeper, 
um, and, and have more awarenesses, if it attracts people with greater awareness who come to us and start mentoring and teaching us, I mean, great. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to look at this. I don't want people to ever look at either of us as though we're on some type of pedestal. We're in this together. If you're an artist, I'm an artist. We're on yeah. the same level. It doesn't matter. And if you're brand new to the industry or you've been in it for 30, 40, 50 years, I think we're still after the same thing and it's truth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that they say that you teach the things that you need to know that you need to learn the most. Yeah. And to a large degree, I mean, that I do get that out of this, you know, whether that's it. I mean, it's not entirely for people out there. I'm, yeah. I'm getting a lot out of these conversations mm-hmm. or it's, it's enriching me. It is uh, giving me perspectives for myself. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that is what is helpful. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I, for me to come in and say that, oh yes, I'm here to teach you about being an artist and teach you about me. I mean, that's for one, being an artist is still something that's, that's a very strange title. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like, hell, how do you really call yourself an artist? Exactly. What does that even, what does that even mean Yeah, to be an artist? And for me, this conversation, what we do is, is just an exploration of that. Yeah, it's an exploration. And I think also when I said earlier, like it's about truth, truth is not like some one all encompassing thing. I think that someone has the answer to it's truth is taking all your experience and all your perspective and all your feelings and things you care about and the way that you look at the world and being willing to honestly expose that in a vulnerable way. I think that's what truth ultimately is because I think what we're dying to see is we're dying to see real people do real things, feel real things. And we're dying to like literally dying to look past the masks and all the bullshit that everybody wears and presents and walks around the world. Like, you know, people walking around in their nice suits and their fancy cars and their big houses and all this stuff, you know, famous, whatever, that isn't necessarily you. The real person is like, like all that stuff was born out of somebody's something inside of that person. You know what I mean? And I think that I know that I've done this in my own life. I know that I've set up my life in a way where I've covered a lot of who that person really is, you know, and surrounding myself with nice things and tried to get the recognition and, and done this stuff. And, and I think that it creates a lot of good in the world. I, I, I don't think that doing that is a bad thing. I think that's actually a good thing. But I think that sometimes we just don't want to, we don't really want to be real ourselves. It's too scary. And I think when you're younger, you, know, you get a whole world that <clears throat> is telling you what to do. And you got people that have been beaten into conforming and then they beat other people into conforming and you know and we just get so confused about who we really are and what what do we really want you know like if uh maybe you think like maybe I don't want to get married I don't want to have kids but you know everyone you know has gotten married and has kids but maybe just because everybody else is doing it and that's what everybody does and, and that's what everybody seems that seems to be life doesn't mean that that's what you need to do. You know, like 
I think truth is about uncovering this journey for yourself and figuring out, you know, what is it for you that you want and not making that wrong, you know, and you might ultimately lead somewhere where you, you know, you do the thing that you initially didn't want, but I don't, like, I don't know if you should go and just do stuff because the world's telling you to do it. I think if anything, these conversations can maybe help people to, I mean, I know they help me. They help me every time I leave a conversation we have. I walk away and I think, what do I want to do with my life? What do, what do I want to do today and how do I want to be in, 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 in that? And I think that, and I start to come to more peace with that, you know, and less have to, less should, shouldn't. Um, just more opportunity to be me and figure out what that is. And uh, I find that that authenticity informs a lot of the art and it, it informs, it just, it informs a certain amount of inner peace. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I believe, and people can disagree with me, but I believe that all of us as human beings are completely terrified. Everyone's walking around completely frightened, fearful about so many different things. It, it, you can dive into so many different areas where people are carrying this fear around with them. And that for me is, is almost a, this weird equalizer yeah. <laughs> in everything. It's like, you know, when you're feeling, when, when I'm feeling anxious about something, when I'm feeling a little bit daunted by something that a situation that's been placed in front of me, I can look around and know that everyone is exactly the same as I am for the most part. You know, doesn't matter what their social status is, what their occupation is, the kind of house that they live in, the kind of car that they drive or whatever you might consider to, to make you feel like, Oh, this is, this is a person like certainly everyone has an experience that you can learn from. I think sometimes we judge experiences based on what we see as being desirable. It's like, Oh, well look at this person and look at the things that they've, that they've done from themselves or for themselves. And while they might be able to offer certain insights, they're still probably wrestling with their own, with their own demons. Like nobody Mm -hmm. is ever free from, from that sort of thing. You know, uh, it's interesting. I think about like in the States, you know, there's, uh, um, the pursuit of happiness, right. Is a big thing about, you know, in America and it's, and that idea of the American dream, I think has been spread pretty worldwide. You know, everybody kind of wants to have that dream, you know? And I think when we become, well, I know like it's pretty common when you become an actor or you become a, you know, an entrepreneur or you become someone who, you know, wants to try and step outside of the norm of working for someone else and try to dare to do something big. It's kind of a little bit about achieving that dream and, you know, finding your happiness. But the, you know, I think the confusion is, is that one day you're going to achieve this thing and then you'll be happy. And, you know, it's not like that. I just, if I can, if I know, I don't know much and I don't even know if I know this for sure, but I would say that if, if I actually really think that happiness is, is a choice that you make in the process. It's not something that you're going to get. If you're not happy now, I am pretty certain you're not going to be happy when you get there. And happiness is also something that 
it's not like once you get it, it stays. It, it is a temporary thing. And the reason why it's temporary is it's so relative. You know, um, if you grew up with nothing, right? And you, you barely scraped by and you, you always wondered where your next meal was coming from. You, you would be happy just knowing where your next meal was coming from every day. But eventually you get to the point where you know where your next meal is coming from every day. You just know that's going to happen. That's taken care of. But then you get used to eating nicer food. And now you're happy when you're eating nicer food. And pretty soon, if you're not having a nice meal every month, every week, or every day, you're kind of unhappy, right? And then, but then where does it go next? You know, and it's, it, happiness is this relative thing comparatively. Like, you know, it, and I think we base it a lot on what's the comfort we've acquired in our life. And I think, and I'm not a master of this, but I, one thing that I've, I've definitely been working on in my life is when I'm not comfortable, can I be happy? Because that's when it really counts. Because if I can be happy when I'm not comfortable, then when I'm really comfortable, that's going to be easy. Yeah, and it's an, uh, whether you have an underlying sense of, of joy in your life, even in the face of you know, a difficult situation. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's so interesting how we do this psychologically. I mean, sometimes we have these big aspirations you know, that we have for a long period of time. But even on a smaller scale, I know I can look back on my life and I can see these things where I said, okay, well, you know, if I, if I do this or, or once I have this and, and I've got this going for myself, then, you know, there's this idea that things are going to be all all rosy and and perfect. And I've gone, I've achieved these things, whatever they are, they might be kind of day to day, mundane type of stuff, but things that afforded me a certain quality of life. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got nice house, you know, I'm, I've got all of the distraction and entertainment I could possibly want. And, and I've got food and this and that my survival needs are more than met. And once I got to that place, the thing is, is that your mind just focuses, you know, Mm -hmm. there's actually, they say there's these different levels of, of sort of your awareness and consciousness. And once those survival things are met, you immediately, people will notice that suddenly they've fallen into that. They've become comfortable. They've become accustomed to this thing and now it's okay well what's next Mm -hmm. am I actually happy in doing this thing now I was happy for a little while doing this but now there's more that I want Mm -hmm. and that can be obviously we can see that as being a very dangerous thing like this or the quest to want more there's nothing wrong with it yeah well, you know, we're, we're endless consumers, I think. We will consume, consume, consume until we, you know, and, and we think there's a point where we will have consumed enough, but we will continue to consume because basically, like, if, <clears throat> you know, it's like, uh, you know, say, say you're having trouble dating. You have real trouble meeting somebody, right? Once you meet somebody and you don't want anybody else, and that's kind of like taken care of, then you're just going to want something else. What are you going to want next? 
And what's the new difficult thing? And then once you achieve that and accomplish that and you got that covered, you're going to want something else. And we just need to consume, consume, consume. So once you have an abundance of something, you don't, you know, you just look for the next thing to consume in, in many ways. So part, part of, I think, what we need to do is, is we need to take our appetite. And, and I don't mean that just with food, but I mean that obviously just with trying to achieve these things, get these things, acquire these things so we can be happy. We need to start looking at that as like, it's the actual hunt often of getting that stuff that you enjoy. And it doesn't matter what you hunt, just that you hunt, period. And when people stop the hunt, you know, when they stop moving, they sit on the couch, they watch TV all day, they don't do anything with their life, it, it temporarily will feel really good. But in time, you know, it will catch up with you. And eventually, you know, your, your, your body will atrophy, your mind will atrophy, your, you know, you won't feel as healthy, you know, and this, then pretty soon you'll need to want to consume that. It will run out like also, and I know this from my own personal life, when you make a really great success, it feels really great for a while. And then pretty soon that feeling goes away. Like I can think of, for example, the best goal I ever scored in soccer. I can think back then. Wow, that was really great. And for the period of that game, for the period of that day, maybe even for the period of that week, I felt amazing because of that. But, you know, I have struggles today. I'm not, I'm not thinking about that goal that I scored when I'm struggling today. You know, it just goes away. It's like, like, if it really stayed, it would be there with me every day forever all the time. But we, you know, we do these things, we achieve these things, and then we kind of, eventually we just kind of drop them. We just kind of forget about them. And then we'll bring them up as a memory of every now and then. And we'll be like, oh yeah, I remember when I did this and it feels really good for a moment. And then you know what? In the next five minutes, I'm going to forget that I even talked about that. Maybe not so much now that I mentioned it, but it'll eventually happen. And then, you know, it won't be there with me anymore. Well, we have this eternal present that we, mm-hmm. that we have to deal with, right? And that shifts and changes and, and it moves. And I, I think that there's there's a really great sort of lesson here about being a creative because I, I believe that human beings are born creative where it's in us. It's actually our, our destiny to create. That's all we do. Every new product, like the things that we consume, well, those were all created by people. Yeah. You know, everything in your house was, is an act of creation. Mm-hmm. Somebody made this like looking around where we are right now. You know, I can see all these, all these movies and, you know, these posters and all of this was a creation. You're making my place sound like kind of like a dorm room out of college. <laughs> <laughs> there's no. books and there's some nice furniture. Well, what are you there? There's books, there's furniture. Anyway. What? It's a house, man. It's a house. I'm Everybody's just, got a house. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And some anyway. similar pieces of furniture, and I'm sure. But it's, it's everything is created. Everything that we do is, is well, the, and that's the thing is that when you become somebody who who becomes uh, dependent and you just become a consumer instead of a creator. You know, it's always, it, it's great to con- to be a consumer. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a consumer. There's such a negative connotation no. around like, oh, consumerism and blah, blah. I get it because there's a backlash to it because it's probably gone too far. 
It's just like taking too far. That's it. Yeah. That's, and that's the whole problem. In, in the Western world, we're, we're very consumer-based. Yeah. And, again, there's nothing wrong with consuming. We need to consume things in order for us to all have jobs and occupations and reasons for doing what we're doing. If there's nobody there to consume, then then nobody can actually create anything either. But if you're just become a person who consumes, if you're just sitting there, you're consuming your chips, you're consuming other, you know, entertainment through a, a television. And I know there's, this is kind of strange for coming from a couple of people who are actors and writers. <laughs> and, and, but if you, if you just become a consumer and you stop creating whatever it is that you do, if you stop creating something that you're compelled to do, whether that's, whether that's painting or making music or crunching numbers and doing somebody's accounting, you know, that's, that's all a creative thing to do. And it's important that you do it because Mm -hmm. eventually that's where I believe consumerism turns into sickness, like an actual sickness. We don't oftentimes look at it that way. But it is. Yeah. It is a sickness because you just perpetuate yourself. You keep going for for comfort and for new distractions. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I got this this new TV. Oh, I'm great. Oh, well, you know, maybe a new new sound system now. Oh, okay, great, great. And uh, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll get you know. And, and then it just becomes this endless list of of what's the next thing to consume and yeah. never being happy and and it's insatiable like mm-hmm. it's it's completely insatiable because of the nature of where it comes from yeah well i know and uh, also with more money um you know you just wet that appetite all the more i mean it's uh it's uh, there's more to consume there's bigger things to consume you know it's uh when when people have more money they don't necessarily buy more stuff they just buy more expensive stuff yeah you know and um the toyota becomes a mercedes exactly the condo becomes the mansion know, the yeah. mansion the yeah. yeah yeah and uh yeah and then also there you know it, i think also like materialism and consumerism in the sense of materialism can be taken so much further too because you know it can you can become addicted to the number that's in your bank account you know like if uh if you start making money and you start learning how to invest and you start doing that you can become addicted to like i need to get more and to get more and to get more and what is the need to to build this number up necessarily like not to say like yes build wealth and like look to your future but i think um you know i was having a conversation with someone at a party the other day and she was talking about her and her um fiance they run a business international business and we were talking a little bit about you know how a business gets off the ground and what it takes and the blood and sweat and tears and hard work that you put in at first which often ends up paying off really big later and then I think sometimes people you know they look at successful business people and they say well you got it so easy you know you run your business and you knew how to do this like well no first of all there's two things I want to say here First of all, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of things that that person gave up to make that thing work so their life could be the way it is now. Secondly, she pointed out, she said, you know, aside from all of that stuff, all the money, all this other thing, all that matters are the people. The people you work with, the people you're around, the people you love. Because, like, you won't remember, like, so much of this stuff. Like, if there's nothing around you, if you end up alone, 
um, I think, I think there's a real, there's a real challenge with that because, you know, that money and that success and all that stuff isn't really going to, you can't, it's like hard to, I like being alone every now and then, but to have like, for example, this conversation, you share your world, I share my world. And you have a whole different life than I have, and I have a whole different life than you have. And if anyone else is on the other line of this, they get to experience a couple of our worlds. And I think the only misfortune is if they don't share anything back with us, we never get to experience their world. But, you know, and and everyone else who, if they say, wrote a comment or whatever, everyone else misses out on their world. And we all have our own little world. And it's all this really beautiful, unique thing. And I think art is about how do we want to bring and share all that stuff together if you're just alone and wealthy and you have all these things you know you're kind of cutting out the art you're cutting out the truth you're cutting out the connection in your life and i think art is kind of connection because you you look at these great artists or great architects something that i'm really big history buff about and you think wow like this person left something behind where i got to kind of experience their world you know um and, and uh that's, I think, what art is. It's kind of timeless. It, 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 it's a communication you leave beyond your life, you know? So, yeah, it's, and it's a, yeah, it's a voice. Mm-hmm. It's a voice that comes out from a life that was, that was or is being lived by somebody. It's yeah, been so, colored by, by everybody's individual experiences. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you were talking about the consuming thing. If we only consume, we never leave a voice behind. We never share anything or put anything back out into the world, you know. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think the, the consu- consuming is one of those things where it is kind of an addiction and it feels good in the immediate. And I think if you keep, you feel like if you keep consuming more and you keep consuming more and you keep consuming more that eventually once you get this thing, then you'll have enough, but it's just another, another, another. And I think where, if you are in that, if you're in that, if you recognize yourself in that, what you need to do is you need to stop and you need to say, what do I want to create? Because what you create will give you a, give you more fulfillment for a longer period of time. I think what you consume will only give you that temporary immediate reward. You know, uh, for example, when I was younger, you used to mention a bunch of DVDs. I remember when I was when I was a lot younger. There's a period in my life, and I think I shared this before, but I was feeling pretty down. I was feeling pretty depressed, and there was a lot of things that were very challenging in my life. So I'd go and I'd buy DVDs, and I like movies, and I would justify because I'm like I'm a filmmaker and a writer, and I need to watch all these DVDs. I need to learn movies, but every time I bought DVDs, I would feel better, and then of course that feel better would go away, and then I go and buy DVDs. You know, it got to the point where instead of just buying one DVD or two DVDs or three DVDs, I'd load up a, a whole cart, you know, and, uh, and I gotta say too, I was down at this period in my life, but I actually had quite a bit of money and, um, I would just spend my money on these DVDs and I'd buy, and I needed to almost buy more and more to feel better. And, um, you know, I think that it's, that, that was a period in my life where I look back and go, wow, what a, what a waste, like what a waste of money in a way, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I watched a lot of movies. I'm glad about all that stuff. But when I just simply stood out and created something and made something, I felt that that was something that was such so much longer lasting. You know, in fact, when I look back at the time of my life, um, I look back at the things I created with with still a sense of joy. Whereas the things I consumed, I almost look at that and I go, I didn't really need that. I didn't really need that stuff. You know, there's some DVDs. I bought Waterworld one day. 
<laughs> you know, like, just because you, you run out of stuff to buy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I don't have Waterworld, and that was, you know, that was a big movie. I liked it when I was time. a kid, I yeah. think, you know? And, uh, then, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's like, again, it's not like there's anything wrong with with having a DVD collection, you know, if that, but it would be a mistake to think that that's going to, to give you long-lasting fulfillment, mm-hmm. um, because because you have to create. You have to create in some some form or another, and I know I've said this before, but you know everybody is a creative. It's it's always funny to me when people say that they're not a creative. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's impossible. Yeah, like that is absolute. It's completely impossible mm-hmm. for you not to be a creative person. Everything that you do in your life, the interactions you have with other people, is creative. Mm-hmm the whatever your your job is your occupation is there's creativity in that mm-hmm. you know it doesn't necessarily we associate it so much with with the arts mm-hmm. and the arts are maybe the arts are a certain element of creativity it is a certain it, it is um i think it's more of a direct interaction with creativity it's less of a function yeah. As it is, you know, because art is almost superfluous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not necessary in literal terms of like our survival. Though I do think that art is actually necessary for us as as like a society to for our culture for our you know it it provides an enrichment to us. Um, but you know, artists aren't doctors you know we're not (laughs) we're not saving people's lives on an operating table or or whatever it is but there's there oh oh oh, my god (laughs) nobody saw this but brent and i just (laughs) our our hands just touched momentarily yeah in a weird way in a weird way (laughs) um and it it completely threw me Mm. so um Aside from the weird hand touch, Evan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that uh, you know creativity is creativity is like problem solving, and it's um, any like you know you're interacting with someone, you meet somebody new, and you figure out what am I going to say to this person, how am I going to connect with them, what questions am I going to ask them. You're being creative. You're figuring it out. That's exactly what creativity is. I mean, you know, if you do an acting scene, for example, and you've met the person for the first time, if you put into the mindset that you don't know what your character is about to say, even though you've memorized all lines, but you get into the mindset of like, what am I going to say to kind of like get and connect to this person? And every time you say the next line, it's like a creative way to try to connect with them. You're doing some really great work probably because right now you're, you're figuring it out because that's how it works in life. I mean, I know like, I, <laughs> like dating, you know, and uh, going out on dates and stuff like that. And especially the first date and you're, you're figuring out what kind of questions to ask. And there's, probably some standard stuff that you kind of get used to. You go, okay, I'll probably ask this, this, and this, but then the person brings something up and then you ask them about that. And then, you know, and then you ask about this and you learn how to, at least in dating, you learn how to ask better questions as opposed to answering a closed answer question. You learn how to ask, ask an open answer question. Like, how do you, what do you, what do you feel about that? Why do you like that so much? You know, um, what was the best part of going to this place in Europe or whatever? And if you're interested in stuff, like right now I'm really interested in Europe, um, 
someone brings up Europe, I'm going to ask them stuff and I'm interested about it. And then I'll say like, what was your favorite place you went to in Germany? And they'll say, oh, it was this place. Well, why do you like that place so much? Oh, because of this, this, and this. It's like, oh, I really like architecture too, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that's a creative conversation. And I think that we, 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 we make art like this. We, we like compartmentalize it in a way where it's like separate from life, but it's no, it's, it's very much intertwined. And I think like when you're not being creative in life, it gets pretty damn boring. Like if you go on a date with someone and they ask you all the same questions, they ask everybody else and their questions are kind of like no thought, no effort, nothing put into them. And you don't put anything, it's not going to go well. But if you go into a date and you're like, I'm going to be creative, I'm going to use my imagination. I'm going to think, and I'm going to be interested. You do that, you're probably going to have a really successful date, even if that person and you are not even attracted to each other. Because someone who asks great questions is someone who is very creative, in my opinion, you know? And creativity is uh, something that it, it goes through everything. It doesn't matter. Pick a topic. Yeah. We, can, we can figure out how to be creative. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that, like what you're saying, like taking interest, mm-hmm. taking interest in something, wanting to know something that you didn't know before, wanting to, like we talk about exploring, exploration, that's, we do that so often. I mean, if you, if you daydream, you're a creative person and we all daydream. We all imagine scenarios, probably more of them, you know, confrontational than, (laughs) than, than we, I would necessarily like for us to have, but, you know, very often like we'll have have these little fantasies. We run these little fantasies and these scenarios in our heads constantly. I was like, Oh, like this with this person or with that person. Oh, like what would happen? Yeah. What would happen if they said this to me? And then, you know, someone that you didn't, that you don't like, or maybe somebody that you do like, you imagine something going down a certain way. Yeah. That's a complete creative exercise because you're exploring and you're exploring an unknown. Mm-hmm. You're exploring something that you don't know. It's like, Oh, well, what would happen? Yeah. What if, and we all do it. So you're a creative person. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you brought up a good point because when we use our imagination and we think of these ideas of what could happen, um, your, your imagination and your creativity finds more foundation in you when you actually go out there in the world and try it. You know, for example, if you, if you really like somebody, but you're scared to ask them out, I'm on the dating topic right now, but you're scared to ask them out. You can imagine all you want in your head, what they'll say, what they'll do, how it'll go down. But until you go and do it, you're never really going to have any basis of experience and movies don't count. (laughs) You know, movies do not count because they're not your experience. They're not you in there and you need to face the fire. Like for example, I remember, you know, I was with a group of friends. I saw this girl I really liked. She was with a group of her friends. I was young, I was a teenager. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, man, I like that girl. And my friends were like, yeah, yeah, you know, she's with her friends. You can't do anything about it. I was like, no, I'm going to go ask her out. And they're like, what? And I was like, I'm going to do it. So I went up there <clears throat> and asked her out. And as I got closer to her, I realized that I was like, not as really attracted to her as I thought, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, whatever. I said I would do it, you know, whatever. We'll go out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe she will say yes. Maybe she'll say no, whatever. So I got up there and I remember, uh, this is, you know, one of the earlier times when I did it and I, and I, and I said, Hey, how's it going? And and they kind of were like a little bit, you know, well, this guy's approaching us and whatever. And I said, you know, I saw you across there and I thought you're pretty attractive. And she's like, thanks. And I was like, um, well, listen, I don't want to make this like 
awkward. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I'm, you know, whatever, like kind of put it out there and I'm just like, but, uh, you know, could I take you out sometime? And she was like, oh no. She's like, uh, I'm not interested. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, and, and that was hard, you know, that was hard because even though I was still not, I realized I wasn't as into her as I thought it's still hard to be rejected. But the thing is, is I got the experience. And what I found, this is the most valuable part of the experience in my projection, in my experience. I noticed that the friends actually looked at me, uh, her friends actually looked at me very like almost, there was like a certain kind of in my, this is just my experience of it, but it seemed kind of respectful and like, wow, that was cool. You know what I mean? In my fear before I had done it, I'm like, oh man, it'd be so embarrassing if she said no to me in front of everybody. But in fact, I learned through experience that actually going up and and being brave enough and courageous. And you know what? I'll tell you something. It's been many years since then. And the number one thing that I found in women is they say, you know, men never come up and ask me out anymore. And when a guy is willing to come out and ask me out in front of my friends, he gets major points. And you think about that. It's like most guys won't do it. Yeah. So we have this whole thing we build up in our heads. And I, and I think that people who have never done it and won't do it is because you've never put yourself out there. And you know what? So what if they laugh at you? So what? Like, you're going to walk away and you're going to get some experiences and you're probably going to get experiences you never even knew you were going to get. Yeah. And I mean, and there's so many really wonderful, simple lessons within, you know, this one experience that you had. Sure. And, you know, they said no, which was the worst outcome. Yeah. Pretty much like the worst outcome. Everyone yeah. is okay. And also, I I would like to point out the fact that being that being embarrassing, why is that even embarrassing at all? Yeah. Why, why should we even be embarrassed by something like that? There's really pretty much nothing actually personal about it. There are so many reasons why somebody might say no. They could be in a relationship as it is, or they could have their own fears just of like a stranger, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they are attracted to you, but they're just like, Oh, I don't know this person. I'm going to just say no. Or like there's so, and, but we take it as being this thing where it's, where it's like, Oh, this is, this is uh, a, an attack against me. This means that I'm not good enough. This means that I'm not attractive enough. This means all of the, and it, and again, it doesn't mean any of that. Mm-hmm. It literally does not mean any of those things other than that you are making it mean those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could, you know, we could do this podcast and we can make this public and we can show people and, you know, worst case scenario, nobody likes it. In fact, worst case scenario, people dislike it so much that they start saying like, you know, this is terrible. Who do you guys think you are? Blah, 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 whatever. I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that bad, but um, whatever. I mean, worst case scenario, the thing is, is that all art and all creativity, eventually you got to ship it. Eventually you got to put it out there. And I think that if you don't put things out there in the world, if you don't try, you never get experience. And you, you know, you're not even like anything you want in life that, that really means anything. It takes risk. You know, you got to be able to put yourself out there and, and see, and you know what, you know what, if, if nobody liked this, this is what I would do. If nobody liked this podcast, right? We, we get to this point, it's released Nobody likes it, and we're just getting terrible feedback all the time. Everybody's like, who do you think you are, blah, 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 blah. You know, I might try to take all that feedback in, and I'd go, okay, well, let's 
Let's recalibrate. How do we want to do this? How do we want to have these conversations? Let's maybe consider because, you know, part of this is two parts. One is we don't need to record these conversations because I'm getting value out of talking to you, period. I don't need to record that for everyone else if no one else likes it. But if no one else did, we don't, we can still have these conversations. We don't need to record it. But if we are going to record something, maybe, you know, people give us feedback. We just adjust and we go, okay, well, hey, let's adjust so that they're getting value. Because, you know, if, if we're going to go through all the work to record this and share it and put it up and make it accessible to people, want to make sure that it's something that, that people will get value about it and they want. But, you know, if it was like several people didn't like it, I would actually be like, great, great. Several people don't like it. You can help us fine tune it to make it better. But also, if a lot of people like it, and there's only seven people that like it, we're going to take that with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? But until you put it out there in the world, you don't know. You know, and um, I think it's like that with anything, you know, like dating, going for the job you want, um, traveling, anything, right? Like if you don't put yourself out there and have some experience Everything that we think in our head, like all my worst fears about what if we put this podcast up and everybody hates it? Like, I have no idea if that's going to happen. That's just in my head. That's like this, this little idea that somehow is just floating around as one of the many ideas. But why does that get the loudest voice? You know, and if I let, if I listen to it and I, I think that I have listened to it with other things, if I listen to it, nothing gets done, nothing gets created. I learn nothing. Um, the fear persists. It maintains there in my body until it's pressured again. So I might as well pressure that fear because I want to pressure all my fears until the point where those fears are either so I can see the legitimacy of them. Because I, you know, if I've learned anything in life, most of my fears are totally bullshit. They're yeah. made up nonsense. Um, worst case scenario, imagination. I don't even know what I'm imagining my worst case scenario is because I've never thought of them. I just have a, not a great feeling in my body about it or a weird thought. And I'm like, ah, I just don't want to look at it, you know? Yeah. So I think that the sooner in your life you can start to get courageous and st- by courageous, I mean, just get your fears exposed and face the world. I think the better. And I think that's, that's probably one of the most important things about artistic integrity. If anything is artistic integrity is I believe that this is good and this is something I want to do. So I'm going to put out there in the world and that's in my integrity because that's part of my truth, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, fear is, is such an, plays such an interesting role in our lives. I mean, fear is, is a good thing in the sense that it, it keeps people from, you know, just walking across a highway (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah, like it right. like you just you prevents you from just taking a stroll across a highway that's like busy and and getting yourself killed yeah <laughs> you know it 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 does some good things for us in terms of actual sort of physical survival sure but i feel like that is about as far as it goes mm-hmm. that's about as much use as fear has for you It's like, oh, is this going to jeopardize my physical safety? Me doing this thing. Could I kill myself doing this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good thing to listen to that fear. But our fear steps in, in so many other areas of our lives. And I mean, it's, it's, none of it is real. You know, you post a, some sort of, you know, you start a vlog or something, post it on YouTube. You know, people, people are nasty on the internet. People are just horrible in the comments section 
you know, and, and it's so easy to focus on the people who, who say something nasty about you, but none of that's really real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in terms of, of your fear, well, what you don't really fear the comments or what people might say. You don't really fear any of these outcomes, which actually don't have any risk of harming you as, you know, in your existence in life at all. Mm -hmm. They really don't, can't threaten you. But we make it, we make it something to be afraid of. Mm Mm-hmm. You follow me? I do. I think what you're talking about is, uh, and I, I don't know if there's a term for it somewhere in the world, but I would call it a fear based out of, not survival, but a fear based out of pride. And pride being that I have, and I think this is a great topic for us to branch onto here, is that this fear of this self-image that I've created. You know, we talked a lot about the ego, and it's this ego. You know, we have this ego, we have this idea of how we want to appear in the world. And I think we're deathly scared that that ego will die. Because you know what? If you're, if you're, um, conf, if you, if you appear confident, cool, you have your stuff together, you know, you, everything works out for you. You're the guy or you're the girl. And then you go and do something in the world that risks that there's something to be scared about now because you've presented and you've created this image of yourself to the world that you don't mess up. You don't make mistakes and that you know, everything's perfect for you. For, for whatever reason, I gave you some sense of safety or you feel you're liked because of it. So now the trade-off is for me to keep this image, I don't do anything that risks that image being exposed or broken. Your life sucks now because although you think everybody looks at you with this, you're the cool guy or you're the cool girl, you don't do anything to live life anymore. It's actually better. You know, I learned this in high school because there's a period where I was really cool there's a period where I was not cool. And I found that being cool, that sucked. Being cool really sucked. Not being cool, that was great in many ways. Okay, here's the pluses of being cool. Everybody kind of accepts you. You get to be a part of the cool crowd. Sometimes if you're part of the really cool group, which for a period of time I was part of the really cool group in yeah. school, everybody kind of looks up to you. People kind of want to be a part of you. You know, you feel kind of a little bit like, and this is just high school, but you feel a little bit like a rock star. But when you're the outsider, you kind of feel a little rejected. I, this is, I should say I felt a little rejected. I felt a little bit like left out. I felt lonely sometimes. But what was nice about it in certain ways was that I could do what I wanted. I, I didn't have anything to lose. I only had to gain. You know, I remember one day, uh, I'm to tell another story. It's funny. I'm tell, like, I actually was quite successful with dating when I was younger, but... Um, you know, I'll tell another story where I got rejected. I went out and, uh, one of the most popular girls and just after class, I just went up to her and I said, Hey, uh, you know, um, I'd really like to take you out sometime. And, and she was like, and she was like, she couldn't believe it. And, and, and I was like, yeah, I'm like, would you be interested? And she was like, um, well, can I think about it? And I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, okay, well I'll tell you tomorrow. And then she probably went and talked to her friends and whatever. And then she came back the next day and she said, no, I decided I, I, not, I don't want to. But, you know, the thing was, I don't know if, like, I don't know if she really didn't want to date me. Because I actually think she was attractive. I mean, there's a reason why I asked her out. I was obviously yeah. getting a sense that maybe, but I was not a cool kid. I was not part of that group. So right. I would not be surprised if she went away, talked to her friends, told her friends that I asked her out. And then, you know, they were like, yeah, whatever. Then maybe 
there was some attraction. You know, it's interesting because I remember, uh, and I've talked a lot about dating, but I just find this to be an interesting topic because my perceptions of in life have changed so much. But I remember the, one of the most popular girls in school, beautiful, beautiful girl. I remember thinking like, she's way out of my league. And then, uh, I was in college and I ran into her and, and she, you know, she was really into me in college. And I remember I like, I was away from that. It had been some years from that. And I, and I remember thinking like, wow, like there's a period in my life where my self image and her perceived self image didn't seem to fit. And now whatever's altered now, now my image and her image seem to be okay together. You know what I mean? And so I think that we try to hang on to these images because sometimes they get us stuff in the world. I mean, they do like there's, it's not like, like if you become a, you know, if you become a pariah, like if you, if your image looks bad on other people, you're probably going to lose opportunity. I mean, if you go around and you're shameless and you embarrass people when you're around them and you're loud and you're obnoxious <laughs> and you just do what you want to do. Cause you're like, I'm fearless. I don't care. Well, you're going to lose things in life because people don't want to be around. That's just, you're a jerk, you know what I mean? Yeah. In a sense. But if you, if you come and be yourself truthfully, but you have a backbone of say a foundation of like, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be considerate. I'm going to have certain things where it's not just about me as a, as a backbone, but not a self image, but just as a, like, I want to uphold that in the world because you know, how do you want people to be around you? Do you want someone obnoxious who's mean to you, who just says whatever they want around you? You know, that's not necessarily conforming. That's like being considerate. I think the difference between being considerate of other people and conforming are two very different things, yeah. but people need to kind of like cut the difference, right? Well, there's a great quote that said a, uh, a wise, a wise person can entertain an idea without accepting it for themselves. Hmm. Um, that's a good but, one. Yeah, it is a good one. It's like, that's like, that's like an old one. That's like Aristotle or Plato or something like yeah. that. But, um, no, I mean, I can, I can relate like in, in high school, like when I started high school, I, I was with the popular group, right? And I was a bit of, you know, I was kind of on the low end of the totem pole, but I was with, with the popular crew and, uh, and it was miserable. Like it was, it, I was completely miserable with this group of people and I'm sure I could dissect that in so many ways as to why it was. I mean, there was, there was an element of, of bullying from some people who were in it. That was, that was definitely part of it, but there was also a sense of connection with everybody there that I, I didn't have, even though they were the popular and I hung on to it because it's like, ah, oh, but, but this is the this is the popular group, right? <laughs> and, and it was literally one day that I decided I'm not hanging out with them anymore. I'd met a couple of other people who I could just be myself with and I really liked them and whatever. So I thought, you know what? This is it. Mm -hmm. I completely just walked away from these people who I'd been hanging out with for the last you know year, over a year probably. And found this new group of friends and we weren't a popular group. We weren't like, but we were just friends. We, we liked each other and we just participated in the things that we wanted to, you know, like we went and we, and we did square dancing for con contests and we did the plays and stuff like that together. We just, we did 
what we wanted to. And the funny thing was, was that we started out as like not, nobody even really looked at us. And then by senior year, I had become a popular kid somehow. And I wasn't, I wasn't rolling with the popular kids, but I became a popular kid and the rest of us like did too. And it was such a bizarre experience because then suddenly there was, there was all this drama that started to build around becoming popular. Mm. And none of us had really intended for that to happen, but it came out of, it came out of us just doing the things that we, that we wanted to do. Like not as being like jerks about it or anything. It was just like, yeah, no, like we just being authentic. Yeah. We're just being authentic to who we are. And, you know, and it created this whole thing. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that's, I've had that experience myself, not necessarily in high school, but in college. I mean, that happened to me, you know, uh, it is interesting, you know, um, just being very truthful to yourself. I mean, people see that and there's something really undeniable about somebody who's being authentic. It's, you know, it's like, I think people, I think there's, you know, ways in which people try to break down how people who are authentic are, but it's not, it doesn't work that way. Authenticity is like something where you're, you're being so true to yourself, but you don't really care about what anyone else thinks because you care about what you're doing and you, you, you care about it. You're interested in it. You're doing it without apology. Um, so long as I think you're not doing anything destructive or harming other people, for the most part, I think that people really look at that and they go, wow, like that's how I want to be. Cause I think we all really want to be authentic. I think we're just scared to be. And, um, I think what can happen though, is that sometimes our authenticity attracts popularity. We get popularity and then people put an image on us or we start to develop some type of image based on the way people see us because they don't see everything. They only see what's presented. Yeah. And then I think we, we, you can get that popularity and maybe you don't want to lose it. So then you try to maybe do a little bit of a dance to keep it. And in doing the dance to keep it, you become a bit unauthentic but, but you, you stop risking. Like the moment that you have an image to uphold for people, because you need to keep that image in their minds, I think is the moment you stop risking because you don't want to, you don't want to expose who you really are. You know what I mean? But I think that, you know, who you really are is not, you got to accept that it's not perfect and it's not something that everybody's going to like, but the, the people, people can always, can always at least respect someone who's authentic. You know what I mean? Like, even if I don't like what someone's doing, when they're being genuinely authentically the way they are, there's something you can kind of respect about that because I know they're not putting anything on. I know they're not faking anything. I know they're not trying to really get anything from me or anybody else. They're kind of doing it because there's something they really authentically care about genuinely. And they want to just do that. And then they are the way they are. And this, this really kind of, this person is exposed. Um, and I think the more you become okay with the person who's exposed out of your genuine, vulnerable, authentic way of being, the more you can accept that person, the better life is. That's, that's where I believe happiness and joy come from. Not from all this materialism and outside work and achieve this, accomplish that, whatever. It's, it's actually in doing and being like, like when you said you were hanging out with these guys and you could be yourself. Yeah. For whatever reason you felt and you gave yourself permission 
maybe you, you blame them for giving you permission, but for whatever reason, you created a, an environment where you felt I could be myself, I could be authentic. And of course, that felt probably a thousand times better. Because whatever you were doing when you were part of the cool group, and I noticed myself, is you had a lot of things to keep up with. Because if you, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't know what your cool group was like, but I remember mine, like, they would make fun of you for anything. Oh, yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, if you made a mistake in front of them, like, oh, God forbid, like, you did that, right? It, it was just not, you know, so th- they were, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I remember my dad telling me this when I was younger. He said, you know, just be careful about hanging out with the cool kids because they're going to be the ones after school who are going to be working at, like, some Joe job or some bar and not going anywhere in life. And, you know, like, <laughs> they might be really great now, but, or seem really great now, but that's, uh, you know, that might not be the case afterwards. And, you know, I found that to be really true for a lot of the really popular kids because I think, like, and I, and I, I thought about that, like, why is that? And I think the reason why is because if you, if you spend your youth not being allowed to make mistakes, you're not going to learn anything. But it's the kids who were, who, who were going out there who were making mistakes, and not just kids, adults too. If you go out there and you make mistakes, you learn a lot. And it makes sense that you're going to get a lot more rewards in life. You're going to get a lot more success and a lot more benefits because, you know, it's those mistakes that you make that teach you how to be better. Success is not about, it, it's about failing upwards. You know, it's like, you, you try this, it doesn't work, you try this, it doesn't work, you try this, until you lock into a certain amount of confidence of like, it's not that I just know what works, it's that I know what doesn't work. And I know many ways in which it doesn't work. Like, you know, I have confidence around making movies, because I know a lot of the things you can do that will lead you down the wrong path. You know what I mean? So it's not just that I know how to do this thing well, but I know how not to do it. And so like, you know, when I'm on a team, I, I tend to be a really big asset for the very fact that I can help, you know, I have a certain amount of experience I can bring to the table. So, you know, if you don't, if you, if you try to get like, if you try to like read a book on film, for example, or you go to, I'm going to go to all the best teachers. I'm going to learn all the right things to do. And the teachers are going to tell me how to do it. They're going to tell me exactly how to do it. And I'm going to do it that way. Well, as long as you follow their thing, you're probably going to get something which kind of looks like a film and is a film and is pretty good quotation mark. But it'll never be great because greatness comes out of some type of internal thing. And if, you know, the way I teach making movies is I don't tell people what to do. I say, these are the things that you need to do and this is what you're going to do. Like, you're, there's no right way to do this. But what you're going to do right now is you're going to go on to Craigslist. You're going to go on to these Facebook groups. You're going to go talk to these people and you're going to build a team. I don't, and I say, these are some things to look for. This is what I suggest. You don't have to do this, but this is what I suggest. Find a DOP with a lot of experience. Find a DOP who has their own gear, you know, director of photography. Yeah. Go find an editor, look at three editors, look at all their reels and, and ask them, you know, ask them these questions. Now you pick who do you want to work with? But the thing is, is when they go and do this, they learn because now they have perspective. But if I just tell you, you need an editor who does this, 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 and this, and here's the person to talk to. And I'm actually, I'm going to introduce you to the very contact. Then without me, you're, you're nothing. You know what I mean? But if you learn how to do it on your own, you, you have skills that people just don't have in the world. And that's how we need to learn. You know, we need to learn through you know, making mistakes. Like I had, I, I know I'm on a soapbox. I mean, just give me a second. Here. It's all right. It's, it's tradition. <laughs> <laughs> I get one, one guitar solo per, per podcast. Please. But, um, so I have a director who was working with me, a producer director 
who worked with me on a, uh, in one of my courses, the Movie Maker course. You make a movie from beginning to end, and we go from creation all the way to completion. So you create a concept, you write a script, you build a team, you raise money, you make the movie, you edit it, you distribute it, and get it marketed. So he got to the point where he was hiring a director. <clears throat> and I said to him, okay, well, uh, he, or no, sorry, he didn't direct it. He just produced and wrote it. Right. He didn't want to direct. He wanted to hire a director. And so he was asking me a lot of questions about it all. And I said, uh, well, don't, my suggestion is this, don't go with, with the most easily available, go with the thing that you want, create a, create an ideal director you want and go look for that. And he said, oh, well, I've come across this person and they're just graduated film school. It's a really young person and said, I want to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of maybe having them direct. And I said, they're a new film school grad. And, and, uh, he said, yeah, I'm like, well, why would you give your film to a film school grad with like no experience? Why, like there's so many directors out there with so much experience and like you could get a TV director, like someone who does, you know, gets paid a hundred thousand dollars an episode. Like, like you have real money behind this project. It's not like you need this. Right. And so anyway, he said, well, I don't know she's available. And I said, don't ever do it, but whatever. Then we, then I remember I met the director and I told him immediately. I'm like, don't hire this person. You're going to run into so much trouble. I can tell you right now. And sure enough, he hired them anyway. Didn't listen to me because part of the course is that I can only, my, my, my thing is I go, I'll give you guidance, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. You get to make your own decisions. You know, you're, it's your project. You're the owner of it, you know? And sure enough, you know, the director was all sorts of problems on set. Didn't have the experience, thought they knew everything. Uh, later in the editing, they wanted their own director's cut. So they tried to like sneak their own director's cut into it. But what they didn't realize is that, that 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 cut had been cut for sound and they were moving that one over. So the sound editor got something that was off the time key. So the sound was off and the editor couldn't edit the sound properly because the director did like a cut. And it's like, you're dealing with someone that doesn't know, like they don't, they don't have the experience and they don't have the professionalism to tell you their opinions on why they want to cut it that way. And they're trying to be, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it, you know, and I think this person just really wanted to direct a film, you know what I mean? And they didn't realize probably all the elements that go into producing a film that keep things together and whatever. They, they apparently had gone through a, a very reputable film school I'm not going to mention their name or the school, but yeah, the thing is, is like, that's the problem. If you go to film school is that you're dealing with people that have no experience. But if you, if you want to be a real filmmaker in the real world, go out there and find people with real experience. But now I remember he and I had a conversation about this afterwards. And I said, he said, I will always hire someone with experience when it comes to these type of key positions. So now the young directors on the other side of this podcast go, that's not fair. You know, I just want to direct movies, earn the right to direct a movie, go out there and direct your own movies so that you can earn the right to be on someone else's movie. Because here's the thing, he's spending thousands of dollars, raising thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, I think for this movie. And, and this person has no comprehension of what it takes to get that film made. Yeah. Well, it's not fair, right? It's, it's. And yeah, it's because it's a different experience. I mean, when you come in, when you're, when you're in film school, I mean, the things that you do, the projects that you have, I mean, the requirements and all these things are provided for you. There's, there's a difference in what's at stake in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, certainly like the script was penned by somebody there and they thought it was a cool idea, but it was also, 
it was also an assignment, mm-hmm. which is different than it's different when something is an assignment to, okay, now of your own will of your own volition and passion, you're going to create something and you're going to work with people who didn't all go to the same place that you did, Yeah, you know, who have their, their experience of how they got into their fields, you know, and it's important that you have that awareness, you have that experience of working with other people, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody should be able to speak a similar kind of language, certainly like to be able to like technically understand what is being asked of them. But in terms of how you are as a person, how you like, how are you interacting with these people? How, how do you get along with them? Mm-hmm. How do you collaborate with, with people? It's extraordinarily important. I think so. And I, I mean, my point of this whole riff that I went on was experience. And you know, if you, if you got to go out there, you got to experience. And I think like, if you, if you go to film school and you make your film at a film school, you work with all these film school students that went to the same film school you did. Then you go out, you make your next film. Of course, you get all your film school students who went to the same film school you did and they do all, this, all the same stuff. You know, you're, you don't have a lot of experience with the rest of the world. I mean, there's people... Even if you were to say, you know what, I'm going to get people from different film schools at least to come on board because people have, you know, different educations, different experiences. And, you know, I think one of the challenges, and I know I had this issue a little bit when I was younger, and I think all young people do, is that we like, we, we think we know everything. You know, when you're young, you think you know everything. I think as you get older, you start to realize you know nothing. <laughs> but when you're younger, you think you know everything. And... I think the best thing a young person can do, if I was to give any advice, is just just embrace this idea right now. Wait, don't, don't wait until you're older. Just embrace this now. I don't know anything for sure. I'm open to new ideas. And everything I think I learned, even if you paid $80,000, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 for your film education, don't think that it's complete. Just think that you got one single way out of 10,000 different ways to do this thing. And that that way... If you only ever do it that way, just think about it. Here, this is the most key, key important thing. How many people go to that film school? How many people do that program? And how many of that program do they run per year, per sessions of people? Now, every single person that wants to do your job that came through that school does it ex- that exact same way. How original are you? If you do the same model that everybody else is following and has been taught, if you don't, if you don't, look outside of that film school and start to think, okay, great. I got this. Now I need something else. So I have something in a sense, something original, some, some way to, to not just do this cookie cutter model of making films. Cause that's not how films need to be made. And now, you know, it used to be like the golden era of film, right? You had to make a film a certain way technically because it was film and there was certain money and there's whatever. Now everything's digital. You can pick up an iPhone and you can make a movie now. You don't need all this fancy gear anymore. I mean, anybody can have access to a movie. I was down in LA at the American film market. I I don't know if you were there that year, but I remember we were going by a cafe and there was three people out there. No, five probably. There was a, a director, a camera operator, a sound guy, and two actors. And that was their movie. You know what I mean? And that's how they're making it. And then you can look at some other films where they got, you know, uh, they got the whole set, like everything. There's like so many people. There's like 17 different departments. I mean, there's not many, that many departments necessarily in film, but there's all these departments that are, you know, 
functioning and there's a whole team under that department. There's many different ways to make a film, you know? And I think that if we get locked into like, no, a film has to be made that way, then we're never open to this whole other idea of how a film can be made. So those are just two options. Stack your team with like so many people, make it like super basic with just the basic main crew, super small. I think until you've made both of those types of films, you don't have a very good idea of what's possible with your range. You know what I mean? And there's pluses and minuses to all those. Like one gets shot faster, one, one you can do more things with technically, but it takes a lot longer. Um, sometimes I, I see people go, oh, you know, I don't, I need, like, someone shows me like a drama script and they're like, I need $10 million to make this movie. And I'm like looking at it, it's like basically one location and nothing happens in it except these dialogue scenes. And it's like, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you don't at all. In fact, what you really need is you need two or three really good actors, like really good actors. And you just need someone who knows how to capture that stuff. Yeah. Cause that's all that really matters. And you know what, if you want to figure out how to shoot it in an emotionally cool way and do all that stuff, great. And, and you know what? Lighting, you could light that thing really easy. Ten, $10 million, you're not going to make your money back. First of all, their budget is insane. And the other thing is, is go, unless you're getting like star actors, like unless you're getting A-list actors or big list actors, you're not making that money back in distribution. It's just not happening. It's, it's like the chances of that happening. Like one of the biggest movies that came out, I think it was in uh, uh, one of the big festivals this year, one of the big six, it was Sundance or maybe it was Khan. I don't know what it was. It's a horror movie about witches. Uh, someone's going to murder me because I totally messed it up. But anyway, they're, <laughs> they're projecting that this movie's going to make $20 million in the box office. And it was a million-dollar movie. Yeah. This is, first of all, it's not just a drama, but it's, it's, it's kind of a horror-thriller movie. So it has some visual elements, I, yeah. I'm assuming. It was made independently. It was made for basically nothing. And, and it's going to make $20 million back. That's what they figure. So here's the thing, though. That's a very huge rarity. Most of these yeah. films barely make their money back. So, but even if it does make the $20 million, so it costs a million to make, it takes $20 million. Let's just go back a second and break this all down. Okay? So you made it. Now, presumably, you didn't have a million dollars in your pocket, so you got financing. So 50% of the budget just went to that. So now, out of that $10 million, or that, say, $20 million, now you only have $10 million. But then it got distributed, and that's 50% as well. So now you only have 25%. So that means you only got $5 million back out of the million. Then there's all the deferral payments that you have to pay and whatever else. So by the end of the day, even though this film looks super successful, you as the filmmaker, you didn't actually make nearly as much money as you think. And you got to remember, that's a rarity. So that's probably 10 or 20 times what a film normally makes. So if they made, at the end of the day say they made $300,000, in reality, most films, if you did the same thing, they're going to probably make $2 million back in the box office. You made about $30,000. And so people go, I'm going to make this film and I'm going to be super rich. Well, actually, it doesn't quite work that way until you start figuring out how this business works. But, you know, that's the thing is like, I mean, I'm kind of going on my, on my rift here, but the thing is, is that you need to figure out how to make your films through experience, you're going to learn how to do this by making some films, figuring out how to cut your budget down so that you can continually make films and still make money doing it. Yeah. And, and also for me, it's, it's in what you're saying, the th the thought that's going through my head is like, so you like create, create things that you're passionate about because 
Yeah. I mean, like, there's, like, all the money stuff gets divided so, so many different ways. Things have to be taken care of, you know, like, everybody wants their cut. And it's, you know, if you want to survive and thrive and, and play the long game in this, which is what I hope everybody is looking to do, because if you're, if you think that you're gonna do, like, a smash and grab job, <laughs> yeah, you know, in the arts, yeah. I, I mean, Thank chances <laughs> chances are that's not going to happen. It yeah. so rarely happens yeah. for people. So be in it for the long game yeah. and do it in a way that's creatively fulfilling for you. Yeah, figure, you know? out, figure out how to do it because you love it. I mean, you know, the other thing too is like if, you, <clears throat> if you're making it for the big paycheck, if you, do, if you do things right, if you know how to like kind of play the game and play the process, you know, you eventually could be quite successful. I think that all filmmakers and actors and writers should eventually become producers. And anybody who looks down on producing, I think they're you're not you're not seriously thinking about the long game of your art. Brad Pitt, Meryl Streep, you name like name them. Just give me anyone. Sorkin, whoever. They're all becoming producers in some way. They're the reason why things are getting made. And you better believe that they want to get a cut on the back end of the producing because that's where the money really is. Um, and if you're you know, like, <clears throat> if you are just a, a gun for hire or whatever, and you're doing it for a paycheck, I mean, you know, I think that, I don't know, I don't, I, I, I think that creativity is more about the process, I think that's maybe what we're getting at, I don't know, I don't know, but it's experience, and it's enjoying the experience, it's enjoying learning, and it's enjoying trying things out, and I think if you really want to get the rewards, um, like, you know, uh, it, it, what's his name, Ignacio, or... The, the director who won last year and might win this oh, year. Oh, uh, uh, Alejandro Inarutu. Inarutu. That's it, Inarutu. Well, look at him. I mean, he's taking chances with everything he does. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yet, and everybody's I like, I know well, people who can't stand him. Well, they can't stand him, and some people won't. But the thing is, is like, there's a reason why he's being nominated over and over and over again, because he's trying different things. He's trying things out, and you yeah. know, like, He's trying it on a major scale in front of everybody. Yeah, I mean, it, and like as an example, and he's he's a person who hasn't done really anything conventionally. If you look at the the stories that he's told and the way that he's done it, not just in terms of the storytelling, but you know, it, on a technical level, how he's been doing so many different things, whether you like it or not. He's doing something different. He's mm -hmm. creating a different experience for for an for the audience. Yeah, and that comes from that comes from him. Mm -hmm. That comes from something that he that he feels compelled to do. I mean, I we've obviously talked about him a little bit before. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of him, but I do know people who don't who don't care for his work at all. Well, and that's is, yeah. What is art if someone doesn't like it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like not everybody's going to like any piece of art. It's impossible, so... Yeah, especially risky art. Especially art that goes against the conventions that we're used to that are normal. Um, you know, the other thing I was talking to, I was at a party last night, so there's a few conversations I had, but I was talking with someone, and they were asking me a lot about my screenwriting, and they were like, what kind of, what kind of things do you write, and whatever. I was like, well, I keep getting hired for sci-fi, but my favorite is, like, crime thriller and blah, blah, blah. And they are like, you know, they're like, I really like rom-com like kind of commercial entertainment stuff and I know you're probably gonna hate me because I say that and I was like no no I get it and I was thinking about it and I was like yeah I mean if someone really likes to be able to deliver 
like the cookie cutter kind of thing that, you know, you can guarantee you're going to get a certain amount of entertainment. You're going to get a certain kind of experience. They know it's going to be kind of commercially going to work. And you really enjoy that doing that. I think that there's something in being able to deliver exactly what a certain market needs. You know, it might not be the most risky, the most creative out there different, but I think that for an artist to, you know, it's, there's a certain art to be able to follow the rules in a way where you go, you know what, I'm going to look at everything that needs to be done here and I'm going to make sure I achieve all of that, but I'm going to do it in a way where it's not just like everything else that's been made, but it's still going to appease what the person needs yeah. who watches kind of the rom-com movie. I think that that is an artist that just learned to execute in a certain medium. And yeah, I mean, that's not going to be up for an Oscar. It's not risky. It's not like totally different necessarily, but I think that there's something good about that. You know, I don't think that everybody needs to be the most original out there person. I just think that we need to do things from a place of like, you know, truth and from a place of like, yeah. I mean, you can challenge stuff. I mean, the thing is, is that that's where I, I feel like a lot of the knowledge of of the technical and the craft of certain things is, is very useful because you can, you can follow certain formulas for things. Um, for romantic comedy, I, oh, I wish I could remember this off the top of my head now, but I realized something about writing a romantic comedy and, and I'm like, one of the things that it's like, okay, if you figure this out, then this is how you put a twist on a romantic comedy. Mm. And I think it was basically, oh yeah, because we've all seen a romantic comedy where, you know, there's this, there's this falling out between, you know, the protagonist and, uh, whoever they're in this relationship with, you know, this husband, this boyfriend, and almost always, you know, the, you know, the boyfriend or the husband, is cheating or he's, you know, like some no good piece of shit. And it's like, well, okay, so we take, but what if you flip that? Yeah. What if you flip that? What if, what if the situation was completely different? Sure. The opposite. Maybe that, maybe it was the opposite. Maybe, but it's a twist on the formula Mm -hmm. and you can, that can send you off in a whole new territory that keeps something fresh. Uh, like something I always enjoy seeing, a good new sitcom, like something that's really good mm-hmm. because, uh, just one that comes into my head and not everybody will agree with me, but, and I actually haven't even seen that much of it, but I sat down and I watched an episode of two broke girls. Okay. One time it was just, it, it came on TV and I was probably on my phone feeling doing something else. And next thing you know, I was, I was kind of looking up at it and just started and I just left it on. And I put the phone down and I watched the whole thing. I said, yeah, this is like, this is, a, this is a sitcom. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got like the laugh track, you've got this, like the multi-camera, whatever. It's been done so many times before, but there is, there was something that was in it. There was a, a writing, there was a, there was a, something in the characters, the, the comedy of it that was like, this is fresh. Mm. There's something original about this and I really appreciate and you can see it with lots of other stuff like that it's like yeah they're not reinventing the wheel here nobody ever said you had to reinvent the wheel to make something great no but we've talked about this before where it's like you like challenge yourself where you see something as being uh 
you know, like whether it's a genre film or whether it's, and I don't know, there's so many places that you could apply this. I'm sure in music as well or whatever. It's like, yes, okay, there's this, this sort of formula that's been established and it's been done and it's been proven. And that doesn't mean that you can't, you can't take it somewhere where it hasn't gone before. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a giant, huge thing. It can be just this little, it can just be this little shift. It can be this, this little detail in the story that can completely send it in a whole nother trajectory that makes an audience go, Oh, I haven't seen anything quite like this before. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you know, uh, I was thinking about um, one of our earlier podcasts. I don't know if it was the last one or the one before, but we were talking about the path, like w- take the well-worn path or take go off the path. Oh, yeah. But when you have a really, like, well-worn path where things in movies tend to always go this way, like, you're like, I've seen this before, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, you know, uh, the more well-worn it is, is actually an asset to a writer or a creator because you know that the audience is already predicting that's where it's going to go. So by, you can play into that. So by the very fact that, you, that they think it's going that way, you can let them believe that. And they will believe it on their own almost because they just go, oh, I've seen this before. But then what you do is when you know they've kind of bought into your expectation, you send them off somewhere else or you throw them a curveball and they're going, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't see that coming because they were so so committed to believing they knew what happened. Like, you know, when you're talking to somebody and then you tell them something, you go, I know you tell them something, they go, I know, but you're like, no, you don't really know, but they think they know because they've heard something similar to what you say. Like, for example, if you said something like, enjoy the moment, be in the moment, you know, don't get lost in the past or the future. People go, I know I've heard that before. I know I've heard that before, but you're like, you're, you're looking at their life and you're looking how they're doing things. And they're like, you don't get it. You know, maybe you don't believe it, but you don't really get it. But then if you can show them in a way where you can tell them that, where like, where like, for example, you catch them kind of not in the moment and you go like, for example, they're not really paying attention. You go, did you see, did you see what just happened there? And they could be like, what, what happened? All of a sudden they're present for a moment. You know what I mean? Like you've caught their attention. So like the moment people are kind of like, Because I think what happens with movies, when we start to predict as an audience, we start to get disconnected from the movie. Absolutely. Right? So you, so you, you can lead them to the point where they almost disconnect. And then right when they believe they can, you snap them back into it and they're like, Oh, whoa. You know, I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid and, and we would, we would rent movies, you know, go and rent a, like, you know, yeah bucket like a bucket of movies for yeah. <laughs> eight dollars or something yeah and you know my my dad would sometimes he would he would just walk out in the middle of a movie because we're like oh i know it's gonna happen and blah 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 sometimes he was right yeah you know sometimes he was right but there were other times where you would say it's like oh actually this is what happened and he would go oh <laughs> you know and you just you missed out yeah because you 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 assumed, you assumed that this was going to happen. It's like, well, you know, sometimes that you're being set up to assume that something is going a certain way. Yeah. Uh, like you look at something like uh, a horror movie, like cabin in the woods. Sure. You know, it looks like it, it plays into the stereotype. You're watching it. It's all like by the numbers yeah. almost. And then suddenly it's just goes in this, this territory that you didn't even expect. 
And um, even when you think you know where it's going, then it kind of takes you further, you know? Yeah. Because like, you think, oh, okay, now I know where it's going. It's like, no, you still don't know where it's going, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is, uh, to, to segue into this, is one of the things that I absolutely love about the Meisner work that I teach. And, and from having the discovery and, and the experience myself, but also teaching it to people and seeing people have this discovery for themselves. I mean, we, one of the big things in Meisner is like, you you cannot assume. You cannot assume that you know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Because if you think you know what's going to to go next, then you've missed it. Yeah. You've com- you've actually completely missed the moment of what's going on. Um, like for like in in Meisner, if anybody's familiar with this at all, I'll, but I'll give a bit of a yeah, of an it. explanation. I think I might have done this in past ones, but we'll do a refresher. It's good for people to, to learn Meisner and just understand in general, I think. Yeah, and it's... So there's this repetition that happens. That's kind of what people know about Meisner. They, it's all about the repetition. Okay. Um, Not everybody knows. Repetition, can you explain that quickly? Yes, no, I'm, I'm going to yeah, do that, go but it's, it's all about this thing called repetition, um, at least on the surface. Okay. Um, but anyhow, it's basically, you know, you have two people sitting across from each other at initial stages and it gets more, a little more complicated as it goes. But the, the, the nut of it is that two people are sitting across from each other and it begin and you basically have an exploration of what's going on from moment to moment with each other, commenting on what you see in the other person. So I'm looking at you now and it's like, you're nodding your head. And, I'm nodding my head. And he says, I'm nodding my head, right? And if I assume that, like, because especially in the repetition, it's easy because you think someone's just going to say the same thing again because it can go back and forth like that for a while. Sure. It's like you're nodding your head. I'm nodding I'm my head. head. You're nodding your head. I'm nodding my head. But the thing is, is that next time, yeah. you might not say that. Right. You're leaning forward. Yes, I'm leaning forward. <laughs> now you're laughing at yourself. Now I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> you're enjoying yourself. I'm enjoying myself. Right, so there, here we yeah. go. So it's, it's, and that's what it is. And if you assume that you know what's going to happen, you're going to, you're going to completely miss. What is, and, you, and you watch it happen. And, and also people get into this state and I'll often point out to people so like, Oh, did you just like, did you see what happened there? Like, like, what did you, and I'll, I'll just like, she's like, what did you, and usually people notice right. too. People will go, it's like, Oh yeah, I did. I did catch that. I did see that. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're there. So like be with that, mm-hmm. be with that and, and don't get lost in whatever's going on up in your, in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I really like Meisner. I think it's amazing because it, you know, it, it just, and you know, I think like being in the moment is, is, it's so much about everything. I, you know, I, um, as I was breaking down story, uh, it was last, not last year, the year before last, I mean, I created this class, timeless storytelling, but you know, I was really trying to help people understand story in a really different and profound way. But one of the things that I, you know, realized as I was breaking it down more and more is I realized, you know, we don't really know if the world, like, we don't really know if any religion is really true. We don't really know for sure if there's a God. I mean, we have faith and stuff like that. Um, We don't know if there's heaven or hell or, 
if we're all just in a giant snow globe. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> like, we don't know anything. And we don't know if everything is happening for a reason or if everything's just total chaos. But we have told stories our whole life. And we, we continue to tell stories. And, you know, what I learned from Eisenstein, and I think I shared this before as an editor, we, when we see multiple things together, we pair them together and we create meaning out of them and we attach them to each other so they become a story. But I think with story... We, certain, we get a certain amount of safety and security. And I think if you, look at, if you look at us as a human race, before we lived in places where we had uh, temperature control and food that we could store in a fridge or a freezer for a very long period of time, where we, had, where we were the top of the food chain, we're, our whole basis of existence was based on fear. And we talked about this earlier in the conversation. So we're just scared beings all the time. So to, to, for us to even comprehend that the world could just be chaos... And that maybe nothing means anything. And maybe there is no God or heaven or anything. And we're just some biological mutation that's just when we die, it's over. And nothing meant anything. And nothing was connected and whatever. That's a scary-ass thought, you know. To think that nothing we do really means anything or even matters. But as I looked into that idea, I was like, yeah, even if that's true, it's still better for us to tell a story. It's still better for us to put something together and try to make sense out of this nonsense, if it is nonsense, because the thing is, is that, you know, it, in a sense, one, it helps us survive. It feels a lot better to feel like things mean something and that there's more to this than just chaos. And I'm not saying, for those who believe in chaos, then that's it, that's fine. And for those who believe in God and a certain religion, that's fine. I don't, I, it doesn't matter who you are. But I do think that we all... Even if you're like nihilist or whatever, you don't believe in anything or it's like, we still come back to story. We still like to understand why we make decisions. You know, if you, if you want to interact with another human being in the world, you know, like what's their story? Like, how did they get to the place? They have a story they tell. Like, even if you believe in chaos, there's a story to how you got to chaos. Like, you know, for you to even grow up and mature you had to start telling a story. Even kids tell stories before they even know what stories are. They start telling them. You know, they start making stuff up. Kids start connecting things that are totally disconnected before they even know what's connected. Like, um, for example, like their parents get angry at them when they're a child and they go, every time someone's angry, I'm in trouble. I don't know. That just could be something someone put together. I'm not saying everyone yeah. does, but someone does. That's a story. Because you're not always in trouble when you, someone's angry, but people grow up to be adults and they don't like being around people when they're angry because they feel like when people aren't angry, they're, they're either in danger or they're in trouble or whatever. And other kids put together the story, when, when you're angry, you're powerful. When you're angry, you know, you want to get stuff done. You know, when you're motivated, right? So they get angry to get motivated and that's the story they tell, but it's, it's, they made it up. So the beauty of it all is, is that you're telling this story, but like, like if you tell a story and, and your story is constantly evolving and expanding, and I think like being in the moment helps you to tell a better story. You know what I mean? It helps you to like, because if I, if I interacted with you one time and then I try to interact with you the exact same way the next time we meet up, it would be weird. But if I react to you based on how you behave this time, it'll be fine. You look like an acting scene. Sometimes people go into an acting scene and they go, I did this really great performance the week before or the day before this afternoon in the play. So now I'm going to do that same thing again. You know, it's like 
you wouldn't do that going to meet your friend for the second time in the day. So why would you do that in a play? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, why would you paint a piece of art the exact same way you did before the next time? Because, you know, like, you're, you're in a different place. You're in a different whatever. There's a different thing going on. Let it be that. Even if you had in your mind, I'm going to paint this painting. It's going to look this way. And in your mind, you're like, I'm going to go do it, you know, at 4.30 today or whatever. And then you go and it's 4.30, but you feel different. And there's different inspirations, different things going on. What are you going to do? Are you going to try and drag up the past and try and make that your present? Or are you just going to allow yourself to be like, I still have this image, but now the image is different. It's, it's grown over the time that I waited to do the painting. So I, I think that, you know, the Meisner thing, the whole being in the moment, that's really what it's about. It's like that whatever you're feeling, whatever's going on, whatever you're observing right now, it's, it's all meant to be right now, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's about being in a state of being yeah. with another person. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's, a lot of it is, is about building that muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was described to me by my teacher as um, a, a re- training people to, to returning to a more natural state of being. So, and, it, and you have to build it, you have to exercise it because, um, we do live in a world where we have such partial attention, you know, like we have these devices that are extraordinarily powerful that can pretty much show us anything that we want yes. at any given moment. I mean, that's extraordinary. Are you talking about iPhones and smartphones? And, and smartphones, I am. iPads and computers. <laughs> um, Evan. This beer you're drinking. This beer, yes, it, indeed. It's pretty tasty, right? It is pretty tasty. Main Street Brewery. Main Street Brewery. This is their Westminster Ale. Mm-hmm. Is a dark English. Robust. Robust. <laughs> That's such a great word for beer. Yeah. It's robust. It's it's actually a great word for just about anything. I'm a big fan of this one. You know what? I have to I have to say because I've never actually you got us beer one time from this place and yep. this time it was is my turn but we went together. I really really like the atmosphere of of their whole setup. I mean, I like the hangout area yep. where people were socializing area and it was just a great atmosphere inside the place. Also, yep. you walk around the corner and then you get your growler filler, whatever. Their merch table, their whole setup, like all these really cool growlers they have and t-shirts and whatever. Uh, awesome bottle opener designs and things like that. It's like, it's kind of a nice place to go just to hang out and like see all the cool stuff they have. And I mean, it's, I think people tend to be pretty like, you know, if you like hanging out with like artists and like young, like, 30 something type people, you know, thirties, forties, late twenties, yeah. you know, whatever. If you like hanging out with that crowd, um, that's kind of what these places, at least around main street tend to be, you know? Um, but yeah. Uh, and this beer, um, I actually, I really like it. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's really, it's really tasty. And it's also, <laughs> also, um, you know, one thing I like about a beer is like when you don't really almost, it doesn't, you don't taste the alcohol. Like it's a good blend, you know, however they figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was just picturing you like on a poster or something. Holding. Brandon says, it's tasty. <laughs> try the Westminster ale. It's tasty. Yeah, it is tasty. And try it. That's yeah. We should put a poster together. We'll just do it just for this podcast. 
Well, hey, you said it, not me. Well, I'm not committed to well, doing it, but maybe, oh. <laughs> maybe I'll think about it. Anyhow. I mean, I am drinking beer and talking about ideas. Yes. Know, sometimes when you drink drinking. beer and talk about <laughs> ideas, you know. Drinking they don't beer always and hap- talking about ideas. They don't always happen, happen immediately, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, anyhow. Um, yeah, I, I want to, uh, there's something I wanted to comment on what you, on something that you had said in terms of, um, you know, just presence and, and what that, what that can do for you, not, not just like in your work at it, in whatever you do. I mean, it's so important in terms of discovering something new, you know, having, having a new experience of some kind. Um, but I just want to, it, for some reason, whatever you said, it, it made me think of, of something that had happened, uh, years ago, uh, years ago at the, uh, Vancouver Planetarium, they used to do these, um, these laser shows. They used to do, uh, you know, you go in and you get in the chairs that leaned right back and this company would come in and they would do laser shows to like Pink Floyd and the Beastie Boys and Led Zeppelin and, uh, Radiohead. They did all kinds of different ones. And, uh, the first one I went to go and see with, um, uh, with a bunch of people, we went to go and see uh, Coldplay. I went to that one with you. Yeah? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I went twice. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so, the f- like, the first time, we all, like, we were just blown away. I mean, it was also our first experience, like, at one of these things anyhow. Uh, and we were, like, surprised at how, like, sort of entertaining and interesting the experience was. And we're like, we gotta go and do it again. And they had a lot of other shows, and and this sounds like it's in my defense. It's like I was like, I want to go and see a bunch of different shows, but like everyone said, oh, let's go, let's go back, like let's go and watch, let's go and watch cold the Coldplay one again. Planning for the same experience. Planning for the same experience. And the thing is, is that like it was still good, but everybody everybody walked away and came out of it. It's like, oh, yeah, like, it was good. It wasn't like it was, you know, the first time, though. Like, the <laughs> first time it was did amazing. the same, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's one of those things. It's like trying to recreate an old experience. Yeah. You know, and it's just a, a weird road to go down and one that's not going to work out. No, it's usually disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, let your, let, like, if, if you're present at at that moment, I mean, that's probably why it was great is Mm -hmm. because you were present and you were there. And now instead of just like reliving something that you're comparing already. Yeah. And we talked about this, how comparison is such a, such a negative, like destructive road to go down. I mean, it is because now you're, you know, the other thing is they say that you don't remember things. You remember the last time you remembered it. So every time, so every memory is really just a carbon copy of the last time you remembered it. And then you only remember the memory of remembering it. You don't actually remember it. So you get further and further away from the idea. And I think that we can sometimes like glorify these memories we have because we keep remembering it, but maybe in a better light and a better light and a better light until it becomes this thing that's like so out of reality that our, our memory, we hope to find reality, do it again. But 
we, we aren't remembering the reality. We're remembering the glorified memory. So it's like this thing that's out of reality. Yeah. You know? We've been, that makes, that makes me think of that Anchorman line, we've been coming to the same party for the last ten years, <laughs> and in no way is that depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that's funny, we even laugh like Anchorman. Um, <laughs> sometimes, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, sometimes. Um, so, anyway, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, we, you know, we need to experience, I, I've been kind of on the relationship uh, dating train, so I'm going to kind of go with that too, like, if you were in a relationship at one point and then you're in another relationship, if you compare this relationship to your last relationship, you're, you're already setting yourself up for trouble. Because, first of all, you're in a different place when you had that relationship. And you're not, you know, I think, you know, I think there's this danger we have as human beings is that once we learn something, we like to like, or we get some information on something. We like to believe that we learned it right. So, and I think anybody can relate to this. If you really think about it, the first time you ever learned something, if your parents taught you something, you believe that that was the right way. And so then you go into the world and then you get counter information to that. And sometimes you realize that maybe the way you learned it like contradicts with the new information you're getting, but we like to really hang on to the first time we learned it. This is one of my big problems with film school. People go to film school, they learn it in film school, and then they try to go out to the real world, but they believe that what they learned in film school was right. Because they went to film school and they paid $80,000 to go to film school. So it must be right because they paid all this money and yeah. I'm not an idiot and I didn't pay all that money for nothing. But then the world teaches you different. You need to remember that everything you think you know might not be the best way and you might not know it at yeah. all. And in fact, if you try and compare new information to what you previously learned... You can look at what you previously learned and go, okay, well, that was one way to do it, but now I'm finding out that there's another way to do it. It's not that one is better than the other or one's more truthful or one's right and one's wrong. It's, it's simply that you're, there's another way than what you thought you could do. Yeah. And it means that you have more options. It doesn't mean that one, like, and I think like we do this with ourselves. Like, oh, you hear those people like, I used to be I used to be great at sports when I was younger. Okay, well physically, yeah, your body was probably better. Great. But like who even cares about any of that stuff? Like what are you great at right now? You know what I mean? Like you know, in a sense, it's good that we lose our physical ability as we go to older because if we only if we only grew, if we only got better physically like every day, in a sense that could be a problem because then we would we some some of us could just devote our life to an endless physical pursuit to the point where, you know, whatever, where it's kind of almost good that an athlete can hit a point because, um, I, I think when you focus like mod body and mind, you, you want to build both. I don't think you want to build just one or the other. I think oh, people yeah. who build their mind only or build their body only are missing out on the whole wholeness of being a human being. But I think like, you know, as an athlete, if your body has deteriorated or you drop sports at a certain point, you know, you built your physical body to a point. That's a great achievement. Now it's time to build your mind. Don't look back and be like, oh, I, these were my glory days. Now is an opportunity to have your glory days with your mind. You know, I think if, uh, I think thinking in many ways is not something we, cause we have all these sports in our culture. We have like football and hockey and basketball and you name it, whatever. And it's all these 
physical things and people get a lot of rewards for physical things. And then, you know, scientists, unless they're like Einstein or someone, people don't know the best scientists in the world. They know the best athletes, but they don't know the best scientists. They don't know the people who are finding out that there's gravitational pulls in the friggin' universe. They don't know their name, yet they know who like Michael Jordan is and Sidney Crosby and all these other people are. And in fact, they don't just know them. They know the whole team. They know their whole name. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we put a, 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 a strange value on physical sports, which really in the scheme of like the universe and our understanding of human beings does very little. Um, but like we put almost no weight on the fact that the people who are discovering things that are altering our universe well, I mean, or altering our I mean, I, I, I'm going to agree and disagree with you in okay. some senses. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I feel like there are people who are achieving amazing things in terms of advancing our knowledge about our existence and our universe who are just not given the recognition or reward that I, and this is my opinion, of course, but that they deserve. Does that mean that, like, athletes shouldn't be, you know, in some of the positions that they are? No, I don't think so, because I feel like everybody plays a value valuable role yeah right you know it's if if our our athletes and our teams and stuff like they they're they're giving something to us they are enriching our lives in a certain way um but yeah there is there is a certain degree to which perhaps like the importance of it is like oh well this is like the the epitome of everything it's like well you know there's these incredible epitomes going on <laughs> in other fields that are just un, not being recognized. It's funny because, yeah, this whole the thing with um, the gravitational wave discovery that happened recently when they, when they finally actually were able to see it and, and, hear, and, it. and hear it, record it, and, and collect information from it. And, you know, this is like the discovery of a century. This mm-hmm. is a breakthrough of a century. And so many people don't know about it. So many yeah. people don't know that this happened. Yeah. And it's like... They're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Yeah. And I mean, and to a degree, it's because it's it's hard. It's a little bit harder to get context around it. It's a little harder to see. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? Like, with something like sports, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit right there on the surface. There's sure. there's some immediate gratification to it. It's just like, I'm seeing, like, the cause and effect immediately play out. Good. That's a great point. Yeah, and also, I want to say this, is that I, I love sports, and I think that sports play an important part in our, our, our world. I, I just, um, my point was not that athletes should not be recognized. Just yeah, that, yeah. Just that I think that we don't always... We and, and it's a product of ourself because like we don't always value the people who are maybe having intellectual achievements in the world as much as we do athletic achievements. And I think that that's a product of the same way we look at ourselves. I don't think we always acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's intellectual achievements we've made. You know, I was hanging out uh, at my, my goddaughter's birthday today, right? And there's all these kids that are like, it ranges from like one years old all the way to like probably four years old. You know what I mean? And they're running around, they're doing their thing. And I'm, you know, and I was observing them for a little bit and I was thinking, man, like I just had this realization. It's like, 
you know, in the next, like how, how different a one year old is from, or one and a half year old is from like a four year old and like how much growth has occurred. And I was thinking about that from even from kids and like how much growth has been made, you know, from there to like 10 and there to 20 and there to 30 and so on. And so I think sometimes when we don't achieve world material success, recognition, money, all this stuff, we forget about all this growth we made. We just assume that everyone else did it, but not everybody else did it. Not everybody else can do what everybody else can do. You know, some of us have gone out and built physical abilities. Some of us have gone out and built mental abilities. Some of us, you know, learned, learned how to do, you know, equations in math. Some of us learned how to, you know, make paintings. Some of us learned how to walk a tightrope. Some of us learned how to do all this other stuff. And I think like cook, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think that we just, we like, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Like happiness is a, is temporary. Like at first when you learned how to cook or you learned how to do something, it felt really good. But then eventually you're just like, I just know how to cook. And, and it's like, unless I'm cooking something like the best chefs in the world, like who really cares? But it's like, you know, um, for, you know, someone, a little bit of being able to cook can go a really long way. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a master chef to be able to deliver a good meal. You know what I mean? And I think like as people, I think a lot of people don't really start doing things artistically because they think, well, I, I don't really have that much to offer, but I think we all have a lot to offer. And the fact that you built skills in areas where like, like say someone spent their entire life acting or their entire life painting, or they did that. That was all they did. And that was all they ever did. And they're masterful at it as a craft technically. But the thing is, is it's in a way, like you look at like Harrison Ford, right? I think he's a really great actor. I mean, you might not say he's like, Oh, he's the top. But the thing is, I think part of the reason why he's such a great actor is because he brings a whole world of experience to his acting. That isn't just like, I'm an actor, you know, have you ever met like an actor who's like, I'm an actor. It's like, you're, you're almost like a caricature, you know, like sometimes like they're, they're like, like it almost is like, they're such an actor that it's like fake. It's like, even though their craft and their technique is probably really good and well worked, it's like, there's this disconnect from life. I almost would rather someone who is a mechanic and like, and like, for whatever until they were 30 and then picked up acting and said, I'm yeah. going to commit myself to this. Cause they would have had life experience, you know, yeah. to bring to it. That's like, has some substance and some reality as opposed to someone who's just like, I just, I, I just want to be the best actor. I can be the best craft. That's you know? what I'm all about. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and on the flip side, yeah. you know, I've met known actors who are, com- who almost go the opposite direction. Yeah. You know, they, they have a complete sort of, they're completely averse to, to almost being an actor. Like that's what they do, but like, they're just so like, they create a very distinct separation between themselves. It's like, yeah, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with either of those things as long as it's authentically, you know, who you are. You know, if you're really like that's like you live and breathe being an actor and like that's what brings you like that's what brings you joy in your life. Like it's like and I'm talking about joy, like happiness is passing, but joy to me is something that 
that is almost transcendent. I feel like joy is something that can is always underlying. Yeah, it's like passion. It's like passion. Uh, well, the, you know, from what I understand about joy, which is different than happiness, happiness is a feeling you have, but joy is um, closely connected with pain. Um, if you don't have an actual connection to pain, you have a very difficult experience feeling joy. Um, because joy is like without without like uh there's that saying the brighter the light the darker the shadow if you aren't able to experience the same amount of pain as you are joy you're not able to experience the joy but the people who seem to most joyful to me are willing to risk experiencing the most pain for example if you're in a relationship a, a love relationship if you haven't put your entire heart on the line and risk the fact that this person could leave you dump you go with someone else do whatever and you haven't put your whole heart on the line to the degree that you have is only the degree that you can feel the joy about it. But if you, if you put it all out there, if you, if you go, you know, I love this person, I trust this person, you know, whatever. And that is courage and bravery and whatever. And there's passion behind it. And you're not like, you know, I see people sometimes talk about relationships where they go, well, I would never trust somebody again, or, you know, until they do this, I won't do this for them or whatever. And it's like, that, that is just such a limitation on yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? Because I mean, you're making it conditional. You're making it conditional. I mean, joy, like, like for me, like when I think about my most passionate times, uh, in, 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 uh, acting were the times where I said, you know, um, especially with acting, but even now, you know, is, is when I said, I don't care what the world says, I'm going to go for this. And you know, like, and there would be auditions and then I would get so close and it wouldn't work out or whatever. But there is, while I was doing it, I felt this tremendous amount of joy. I think you need the pain to be able to be there and sometimes feel it, but get back up and do the thing you love again, you know, but happiness is like, what is happiness is like, I just don't want to be sad. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel down. I just want to feel happy. Like happiness is also like, how do you know you're happy? Like, how do you know you're happy unless you know what it's like to not feel happy? You know what I mean? Like, you kind of need the other, but I think, like, joy is more connected to that. Like, they, I think the literal transla- translation for passion is joy pain. I think that's it's something like that. It's like mm. uh, you're, uh, I could be confused about this, but it's something to do with that. Like, it's, passion has to do with pain. Like, it's, 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 you love it so much that it's painful. Like, and I think anybody who, who, who loves something and who heard me just say that they understand because when someone really wants to do acting, they really want to be a part of it, or they really want to be a painter or whatever. They really want to do this thing in the world, anything. And the, the idea of not doing it, the idea of giving that up for the rest of their life is so painful that they just like, they just want to do this thing. That is where joy comes from. It comes from this place of like, I, I, I love, you know, I love this thing. And, and like, like kids, you know, like when you have a kid and you, you, you just think about anything ever happening to your kid, you know, that I think is a lot of parents can talk about like, Oh, it's, it's tough being a parent, but there's a certain joy in it. If you just connect back to it, like if anything happens to that little kid, it would be devastating. And the fact that you have this child creates the risk for you to actually experience joy. I think sometimes people just disconnect to it. They get like so lost in the discomfort of, Oh, I make, I obligate myself to do this or whatever. 
anyway, I don't know if I'm I'm getting off topic, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like we're talking a little bit about this happiness and joy thing, and I think like joy comes from risk. It comes from the willingness to be able to risk experiencing pain. Yeah, yeah, I, and okay, yeah. That you know what that that makes it a lot more clear just with that last <laughs> well i, I went that, on this big speed that last day i summed it but up. <laughs> yeah no and and i mean and i think to bring this a little bit around full circle i mean that comes down it comes down to fear as well like it's just like that fear of pain yeah that fear of pain and and uh you know i've always liked the expression fear fear is a teacher or sorry, not fears. Your pain is a teacher. <laughs> yeah, pain is a teacher. pain is a teacher, but suffering is optional. Yeah. Um, you know, but like it, unless you're willing to to risk that. And I mean, for me, there's again, like joy. Joy is. I feel like the exp- you can turn your life into, and I haven't found this yet. This is something that I'm I am looking for in my own life. Is just being it is to be in a state of joy at all times no matter what's going on around me the joy of of experience the joy of no matter what's happening the joy of life the joy of living the joy mm-hmm. of being here you know and and being grateful for that you know being yeah. thankful for that because it's precious we get you know we, we get so lost in in our thoughts lost in in our heads and our our worries and our anxieties and this and that. And she's like, yeah, that's all. Yeah. Like that's all there. Like I get that we all have these things, but I mean, we're here. I mean, we're here on this earth, living these lives that, you know, we don't exactly know what we, we don't really know what's going on here, but we're here. Mm hmm. And that's the only thing that matters. And then from there, it's like, okay, so now you can choose. You can choose how you're going to, how you're going to live your life. You can choose how the things that happen in your life, how, how you're going to respond to them, how you're going to, how you're going to look at the world. You get to decide all of those things. So yes, pain, pain is a fact of life. You know, there's, I don't think there's any way of getting around it. You cannot be, I mean, you can try to detach yourself as much as possible from people, from the world, from events, from this and that, but that in itself has its own set of problems. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of loneliness and there's a lot of this and and that. So it's, you know, there's no real, and that's a pain. So Like in some ways, the joy is in embracing all of it. Mm-hmm. Embrace every single part of the human experience that your life has to offer. Yeah, because there's there's joy in all of it. I truly believe that there is joy in in everything that we go through. Sounds like a. I mean, that's yeah. You know, it's a it's a good message. I think you know ultimately, like that's the thing is with art is art is getting an opportunity to share a perspective or share an idea that we can connect with, um, which we might not necessarily understand, you know, like, um, maybe you, you know, like movies, for example, you watch a movie about a character or a lifestyle that you have no idea about experiencing. Like I remember when I was a kid, uh, my family actually let me watch this movie, which I was pretty, probably still a little too young to watch. 
according to the rules, but, <laughs> but it was uh, Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like, there's people in the world that live like this, you know? And uh, and I thought that was a really good movie. I mean, I just, I, I just really, like, really could empathize with the kids, you know, and, like, their struggles and, like, um, the gang and, like, losing your friend and, you know, and, and the... You know, just the whole, the, that, that, that's a lifestyle, you know, that people grow up into. And, you know, I think I was a kid, so, you know, it gave me a certain experience, but I think it gave everybody an experience, and I think that's why that movie was so well known. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of movies like this, you know, where, you, you know, you get, you get an experience of something that you wouldn't otherwise get an experience of, and somehow, even though I've never lived in Compton, and, you know not an African-American kid and, like, dealing with gang warfare and whatever, uh, there's some truth there where I could relate to it and I could look at it and I could go, wow, like, that's, you know, I can I can connect with that. Yet I've never experienced, never seen it or whatever, and yet I can feel it, you know what I mean? And I think this is the thing about art is, like, we're finding out ways to connect our experiences with each other. And it's, in a sense, you know, it's like that person you know, the people who created that are like saying this, it's like when someone says, you know, this is how I feel. And you don't really know how they feel, but then they share with you how they feel. And this is why I feel this way. And then you go, oh, that's why you're behaving that way. Or that's why you do this thing. Cause now I understand. Yeah. Whereas before you understood that you could just judge them and be like, oh, they're just dangerous kids from, you know, the inside of LA and whatever, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, realize like, Hey, wait a minute. Like, Maybe they don't have the same opportunity. Maybe, you know, every day their life's on the line, you know. Maybe there's there's more to the picture than whatever. And, like, when you don't have that world around you, you might not know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's so easy. We can easily separate ourselves off and, and you know, and we naturally do that. We put people in, in these different boxes. I mean, you know, races and, and social status is just one of the ways that we do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, and the ultimate goal of, of most art is, you know, some kind of catharsis in its audience, you know, and it sounds like, you know, boys in the hood did that for you, which means it's like, it's that, that's a piece of art. Yeah. I mean, it shifted, it shifted a perception that you had or it gave you a perspective that you didn't have before. That's incredibly profound. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, I mean, I know it with everything that I try to do creatively, artistically, I want to achieve that. I want the audience to, to learn something or to, or to change. I want to change the way that people think about something, Mm -hmm. you know, as small as it might be as, non-pervading in their own lives as it might be to change perspective. I mean, again, you don't live in Compton, you know, you don't, like you don't live in this place, but it gave you a perception or it gave you a perspective on what that life is like. And from there you can ask so many different kinds of questions. Well, yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't assume to, to know what it's like. I mean, I have a sense of, more. And I think when people, when you said like, I want to change the way people think, I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's the right term. It might, you might want to change, but it might be more that you want to expand people's conscious awareness or their, you know, or at least, you know, make people 
Yeah, not not change the way people think, but just make people think. Yeah, make people think. Yeah. <laughs> get them to feel, get them to think, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's one thing I always loved old architecture because just the sight of it reminds me of the fact that we came from a different world, you know? I, I, and maybe not everybody connects with old architecture this way, but any type of old architecture, the way things have been built, I I'm always so fascinated by it because I think, like, especially like castles and things like that. And I, I just think like, it, it just gives me a certain realization about so much. And I think it helps me to really appreciate what's available now. And, and, uh, you know, I think that that, you know, when you build something, when you, you know, it's, it's a piece of art, you know, those castles that are like 50, you know, like made in the 1500s or earlier and like so early, like 1400s, I don't know, but they're like, um, they're, they're saying something about where the world was and that was art that was left behind, yeah. you know? And, uh, I think that's, it's just an, an amazing thing. I mean, we could talk, we could go into that topic forever, but I think like, uh, we should wrap this up because yes, we we've should. been on a two hour combo, our what? longest. Yeah. Oh my God. And if anybody who's like been listening to this, we're going to wrap this up right now. Yeah. Now you know, but, um, yeah. Our just... longest, by the way, we made a record, our longest talk ever. Wow. Recorded. All right. <laughs> Well, there it is. So what There's the hell did we talk it. about on Not So Serious Sunday? We talked about fear. Mm-hmm. We talked about, um, you know, we talked about more ego stuff. And uh, let me ask you another question. What's your takeaway? What do you take away from this conversation? Man. What do you What do you want to leave people with? I mean, obviously, you're not going to talk about everything we talked about. But what, what stood out to you? What was your big thing for this talk? My big thing... For this, man, I don't even know what I can my... tell you mine. All right, please do. Because please do. It'll buy you some time. Yeah. Because <laughs> you... I don't even know where to begin. Okay, well, mine was uh, recreating, don't recreate an old experience. When you were talking about the laser show. Oh, okay. I thought that really stood out to me. I really, because um, I think I tried to do that, you know, actually way too much. And it's actually something I've been thinking about a lot over this, this, this like whole last month about how... I live in the past a lot around certain things where I kind of want to recreate the past. I want to kind of recreate the way I was. I want to recreate certain things that were in my life that I felt worked, quote unquote, um, or whatever. And it just hit me. I was like, yeah, like I need to, I need to let that go and let whatever today is kind of be what's going to, going to work and what I'm walking into. Because also I probably am never going to be able to recreate what happened before the same way. And secondly, by trying to recreate it, I think I'm stopping myself from being open to something new that I don't even know about yet, which could be even better. But I, because I'm so connected to the past or trying to be connected to the past, it's stopping me from being in the moment and experiencing a potential future that I, that might be possible that I'm not aware of yet. So that was yeah. my big take. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I think that for me, one of the things that really st- that I guess stuck out for me was that, you know, this thing about authenticity and about daring to be who you are and that that might, you know, that might be scary and that might, you know, have some pain involved in it, but pain is inevitable regardless. And by being authentic, I think you actually, you, you can actually remove a certain pain in your life, you know, and that, you know, the pain of not being who you are. Hmm and and putting your voice out there and and yeah it's just it's absolute 
it's absolute craziness. Uh, the things that we do to to appear a certain way to other people, you know, and it's and it's not healthy. I mean, not caring what other people think doesn't mean that you're that you have to be a jerk or anything like that. So, for me, it's I don't know. Be who you are seems like such a it seems so token. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, with the mindset of what we were talking about is that, you know, I think if you connect enough to the pain of what it means to give up who you really are, like who you really are and not even know who you really are because you're trying to keep up this pride, I think, um, well, the one thing you can, I think the one thing that they can take away from the point what you're pointing out is like not being authentic is maintaining these fears that you probably don't like that you have. Because if you think about it, most of your fears, just pick something you're scared of that isn't like death or getting hurt or something, but like about, I don't want to ask out this person because I'm scared what they'll do, or I don't want to risk going for this job, or I don't want to risk doing this thing because blah, 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 blah. That is a fear of pride. That like That's probably based on your image more than on the reality of your actual health and safety. Like You'll probably ask this person out, and you know what if they say no? You're going to be just fine. In fact, you're going to be better off because now you're going to know something you didn't before. And just because you asked them out and they said no does not mean that they will not say, they will say no always. It just means that they said no this time. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Be present and listen. Yeah. Be present and listen. Cool. All right. You good? I'm good. All right. I hope you all enjoyed it. We raise a glass. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.